Dang, you guys. We only have a couple more weeks of singing that together. It's become a sweet melody. Um, so Joe and I have been married uh, 24 years, right? 25 in November? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, just, I don't have a point in telling you guys that. Yeah. I just wanted applause. Um, no, like on our date night, one of the things that we do, so we go out every Friday night and uh, we'll have a meal or whatever, see a movie, whatever it is that we're doing on a Friday night. And what's funny is oftentimes, like, you know, we'll be talking about random stuff, stuff with the kids, stuff with our lives. And, um, but I'll pull up, you know, whatever random website and, and just that we'll have like date night questions to ask each other. Because what is hilarious to me is that even after 24 years, there is stuff that we can figure out about each other that we don't know. 24 years in, you guys, we've had a lot of life together. And still, and a lot of the questions, what's really funny is a lot of the questions are like, what's your favorite? Mm, insert into the blank. What's your, you know, obviously you start off with like, what's your favorite topping on pizza? And it's like, all, we could answer those questions for each other all day long. I wrote down just like a few of the favorites. Ooh, I wrote down a few of the favorites on here. Uh, what's your favorite memory? What's your favorite vacation? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite style of music? What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite singer? TV series, celebrity, book, season, place on campus, book series, Christmas gift. It's like all this stuff that if you're trying to get to know people, that's the natural go-to question, right? What's your favorite blank? Because how you fill in the blank to your favorite family vacation ever starts to reveal some things about you. You know, if you're like a beach person or a mountain person, or if when you go on vacation, you're like a heavy itinerary person, or a can we just stop for a week and rest kind of person. It's like those, the answers to those questions come when you ask the question, what's your favorite? So it's fun. It's fun continuing to get to know each other. And even some of the memory stuff, like we have figured out, we grew up, we grew up about 40 minutes away from each other and really didn't know a lot of the same people. But as it turns out, like when we, we were doing this one time and we were like, what's, what's your like favorite junior high memory? And she talked about this concert that she went to. And I was like, I was at that concert like sixth grade in that concert. I was like, can you picture, like it was, it was, can you picture the place that you were sitting? And she's like, yeah, actually I still can. I was like, I can too. Where were you at in the room? And so we figured out on just a random date night that when we were in junior high, we were like eight chairs away from each other in a space like this. No clue, absolutely no clue that my spouse was within like a 10 foot radius of me in that moment. But it's that hilarious stuff that just comes out. And if you haven't noticed already, um, we finished the Life of David series a couple weeks ago, and I wanted to spend just some time with you guys the last four weeks of the semester going through some, some big, I don't know, favorite, we call them the series The Greatest, and it's just these, these things especially that Jesus raises to the surface and says, hey, these are important. These are of first importance for you. And if you noticed last week, um, Robbie talked on how the greatest must become the least. Tonight, we're going to talk about um, the greatest commandment. We're going to be talking about the greatest name and the greatest commission, but it's basically just these big giant rocks to say these are the important things of our faith, and we're going to end our school year talking about these four things. I'm really excited um, about jumping into that if you're, if you're wondering why we're headed there. But before I get to my text tonight, 
I have to give you guys a little bit of like some pretext background that I need to jump into. Some of you are going to be familiar with this stuff, uh, so give me a little grace if you're completely and utterly familiar with what I'm getting ready to tell you already. But I need you to understand a little bit about the way the Old Testament is built, or the rest of this just won't even matter or make sense to you. Okay, so stick with me here for a second. The first five books of the Bible go by a bunch of different names. Really, really, really important to the Jewish people. Really. Is that enough reallys? Because I still think I'm not selling it enough when I talk about how important this was to them. It goes by a bunch of different names. I have them in the yellow there. The Torah, the Pentateuch, the Shumash, five books of Moses, sometimes even called the Hebrew Bible. All right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books we call the law because they contain all of the different commands that Moses gave. And I've got it up here. There's 613 commandments given in the law. All right, so to the Jewish people, I can't say it enough. The law mattered to them a lot. They were still practicing the law when Jesus came a long time later, all right? So, but if you ever hear somebody throw out the phrase, the Torah, this is what they're talking about in generally. This is what they're talking about. Or the Pentateuch. It's all this shamash, the reason that, that comes from the Hebrew word for five, which is why it's up there as well, okay? So you have the law that sits out there, but you also have the prophets, the prophets were, were these different people who came in different times in human history, and God spoke through them to specific people at a specific time. So he may have called the, the prophet Jeremiah, and he said, hey, hey, Jeremiah, I need you to give this message to the people. Or he calls Ezekiel and says, Ezekiel, I need you to give this message to the people on my behalf, okay? And there are major and minor prophets. Major prophets, we've got Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Lamentations is thrown in there because Jeremiah wrote it. Minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, you can read them. I don't need to go through all of them, okay? There's a lot there. So if you haven't noticed, there's 187 chapters of the law in Scripture. There are 250 chapters in the prophets. So between the two of those, you guys, and all of that's in the Old Testament, there are 437 chapters of Scripture that are either the law or the prophets, and all of them are God communicating what he wants, who he is, revealing himself through these different things. But we're going we're gonna to hear a little bit about the law and the prophets tonight. I want you to know what they are. Now, the other thing is, especially when it comes to the law, the religious groups, you know how like we have a lot of different denominations represented here. And each denomination has slightly different flavors of, of things that they push theologically or that they believe specifically. Same exact thing was true in Jesus' day. When he showed up, in Jesus' day, when he showed up on the, on the scene, you have people like um, the, the Sadducees or the Pharisees. And so, I mean, like in some ways, you can think of those in the same way, where it's like, you know, you have a, um, if you have someone who's Baptist in the room talking to somebody who's apostolic, there's slightly different variations there. Same thing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to keep everything pure, the Sadducees were a little bit okay with, you know, the Romans occupied everything. The Sadducees kind of wanted to work with the Romans a little bit to further their cause. And the Pharisees were like, no, we're not going to have any of that. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe that that could happen at all. The Pharisees had different opinions. So it's like there were differing divides between the Pharisees and Sadducees when Jesus enters onto the scene looking at all this stuff, okay? So... When we get to our text, you guys are aware that we're sitting in right now in what's called Holy Week, right? So Jesus, during the last week of his life, so this coming Sunday we celebrate Easter, 
If you're not, you know what, let me just walk back through it. I don't have this in my notes, but it's worth, some of you may just not know this stuff. So Jesus was, was brought into Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry. And people are laying palm branches down. It's like a giant parade and a party. People are, are calling out Hosanna. It's like, it's like people are welcoming him into the city. But you know that's going to turn real fast. So by that Thursday night, Sunday to Thursday, uh, or Thursday, yeah, Thursday night, which becomes Friday for them, he's eating Passover with his disciples. He's beaten, arrested, held in trial, like a false trial, mocked, murdered, and then buried on Friday and resurrects on Sunday. And so we have what we call Holy Week. We are sitting in right now. I need you to know that because in our text, our text happens during Holy Week. It happens after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but before he's murdered, before he has Passover with his disciples. Okay, so there's a piece of that I need you to know as we get to the text too. The last thing I need you to know before we hit the text is this. The Pharisees have spent the entire chapter that I'm not going to read to you trying to trap him. The Pharisees and Sadducees are going back and forth, trying to get Jesus to say something stupid that will incriminate him. And then finally, you guys, we get to our text, which is Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. I'll read it for us. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so like I said, they're going back and forth, the religious leaders trying to trap him, and the Sadducees had just asked a question about resurrection, okay, and Jesus silenced them. So it's the Pharisees' turn again. They met together to question him again, and one of them, an expert in religious law, so he's an expert in the Torah, the Pentateuch, okay, asks this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? You guys, 437 chapters of the Bible represented between the law and the prophets. In just the law right there, 613 commands. And they know that Jesus answering this question might get him in a little bit of trouble because that means he's aligning himself with a particular teacher or group. And for crying out loud, what if I asked you, hey, what's your favorite sentence in the Constitution? It's like, uh, I think I know the Constitution. Um, Like, there's just a lot there. I mean, what's your, like, again, thinking about the volumes that's there, what's your favorite paragraph in a Harry Potter book? You'd be like, I don't, I don't know. How do you even grab on to something like that? What's your favorite sentence delivered in a Marvel movie? It's, it's like, it's difficult thinking about the quantity that's there. But you know what, you guys, Jesus doesn't hesitate at all. He doesn't pause to think. He immediately gives them an answer. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He answers their question immediately, but he keeps going. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So to sum up, they say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, out of all of, all of the Hebrew Bible, what do you believe is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, I'll tell you what it is. It's love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, I'll kick in a second one, even though you didn't ask, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, and by the way, all of the law and the prophets depend on those two things. You guys, this is a big deal. By the way, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Did I mention that? 
People's dying words should mean something. And when somebody's dying words are, hey, by the way, this is the most important thing that you could ever do, you should listen even more. And so the, the fact that the God of the universe the la- in the last bit of time with us is saying, hey, listen up. All of what's written hangs on this. Our ears should perk up. And we should say, okay, God, I'm listening. Now, why these two? Are these new? No, they're not. Take a look. This top one, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This comes from Deuteronomy 6.5 in the law, which the Jews called the Shema. It was a prayer that they prayed sometimes two, at least two times a day, sometimes three times a day. They prayed that prayer. And it begins with this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And so this was one that the Jewish people were super familiar with. Very, very familiar with. And Jesus goes straight to it. You know what the greatest commandment is? It's the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then this one that he says, the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, this one comes from Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. These are not new ideas, but Jesus is giving them a new hierarchy. In other words, it's not shocking that he grabbed onto these things. It's not shocking at all. Do you want to know what is shocking? Good. Glad you want to know. Because there is something in here that is absolutely shocking. And it's the last line. This one. That little tidbit that Jesus drops in when he says the entire law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Shamash, this thing that is so valuable to you, All of it is based on these two commandments. 437 chapters of Scripture summed up and hanging on this. The word, uh, this is the NLT that I've given you here that says they're based on these two commandments. But, let me see if I can get back to my notes here. Ah, yes. If you're in the ESV, it will say they depend on these two commandments. But the Greek word that sits behind that is literally hang on those commandments. I don't know if there's a, I think, I'm sure there's a translation of scripture out there that uses that. But the word picture is this. If I take a painting, I hang it, I put a nail into the wall, so the nail is right there, and I hang that painting, all of that painting is hanging on that nail. All of the weight of that, everything that's in there is supported by that one little point. All of it rests on there. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying all of the law and all of the prophets is hanging off of these two commandments by themselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. To sum it up in an easy way, love God, love people. This is the space that we're supposed to point ourselves. Okay? So let me, let me uh, jump sideways for a second. <clears throat> um, I don't, have, how many of you have been on a boat before where, okay, I'm not done with the question, okay. <laughs> Assuming, like, there's more. Um, how many of you have been on a boat before out at a space where you can't see land in any direction? You have? Handful of you, okay. Um, it's kind of weird, yeah? Uh, when you lose orientation to where that you are. I, I like to kayak every once in a while. There was one time, um, I think it was in the evening, I was on this, it wasn't a huge lake, but I was on this lake and there was a bunch of fog and, and mist and it was really, really beautiful. But as things cooled off, the fog increased and it got to the point where like there was no land. I'm in this little kayak in this lake 
And at first you're like, oh, I know I'm pointed toward where I parked right now. But then you turn a little bit and you turn a little bit again. And like, you guys, within like 20 seconds, I was like, I have no idea where I'm pointed. None. And it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I, like small, it wasn't a huge lake, so I could paddle for three minutes in any direction and find land somewhere and figure out where I was at. But there's this freaky moment of not realizing how, how am I oriented right now? Like I don't have any landmarks, any familiar landmarks. And I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about this because as I, I wanted to tell you tonight that, that Jesus is giving us this orientation, this landmark, this North Star. That's the phrase that I use all the time. But then again, I don't know how, uh, how applicable that is because not a lot of people are astronomy people. So you're like, well, I don't, I, North Star doesn't mean anything to me anyway. But a sailor in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nothing, in the 1800s, he's not having GPS. Elon Musk hasn't given us the gift of Starlink yet at that point, okay? So all that person is doing is trying to establish a fixed point in the sky because there's no landmark to do that. So I thought it'd be cool for me to teach you that tonight. So here you go. This is an extra gift, bonus to the sermon, for you to be able to identify the North Star, okay? So Big Dipper, Little Dipper, if you're ever outside, you're looking at the Big Dipper here, and the bottom two stars on the Big Dipper will actually point to the star Polaris, which is the North Star. Now, why is that important? Because the North Star, as we spin, it looks like the sky is spinning. The sky is not really spinning. We are. But it makes it look like the star is just spinning, except the North Star as a fixed point doesn't. So see if you can see it. This is a time lapse some guy put together. Can you see it? It's all right. Keep trying. What you're looking for on here, I'm going to play it again. It's just like a 15-second clip. You are looking for the star in this that doesn't move. Can you see it? All right, I see you guys pointing. That is not helping you or the person next to you okay, at all. Let me make it easier for you, because the same dude who did this time-lapse changed his exposure so they would leave trails. Take a look. Yeah. Yeah, now you get it. All right, so... If you are a sailor in the middle of the ocean at night, do you understand why that fixed point is important? Because at any given moment, you can look at that and you can say, I know north. I know where that is. And again, if you're sailing from Boston and you need to hit the Horn of Africa, that's where you need to go, then you have to have a fixed point to be able to do that. And those guys could do that. They could find the right bay, the right port, by looking at the stars and understanding where they were at on the planet and being able to hit, but this is, this is the reason why. They could look at that jumbled mess. I mean, like you guys walk outside, if you don't know anything about astronomy, it's like, I don't know, there's stars. <laughs> like there's just, it's just a jumble of stars. I don't know what, like I can't navigate by that. They're all moving. It just looks, looks like a jumble of stars. I feel like a lot of the people that I run into, when they look at this book, it's the same exact thing. They look at this thing and they're like, I don't know, it's a jumble of stories and history and, and rules, and I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know how to navigate my life with this thing. And you guys, Jesus is cutting through this tonight and saying, I'm giving you your North Star. I am. This is Polaris to you. 
This is what I want you to understand. You loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the big thing. It is the north star you point your life and your faith to. Oh, and by the way, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, Ben, that's super simple. It is really simple. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus has given it to you as a gift, and he's saying it's simple, but don't get me wrong. Simple ain't easy, you guys. Simple can be incredibly difficult. Jesus is not trying to make this hard for you to understand. It just may be difficult to apply. And in that way, I want to tell you guys this, because if there's a part of you that's like, hey, Ben, I'm in college. This feels like a kindergarten lesson tonight. You guys, sailors never graduate from needing the North Star. You hear me? They don't outgrow it. They depend on that in new ways for the rest of their life. You do not outgrow this command that Jesus gives you. You orient yourself by it from now until the end of time. If you think you've outgrown it, you need to return to it. What does it mean for me to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and for me to love my neighbor as myself? I'm telling you, it's got to be important because during Holy Week, this is what Jesus said. This is of greatest importance for you. You need to do this. So, what is this North Star exactly? Well, there's two different points, and I think that you get it, but I'm going to beat this horse anyway. Well, that's probably not a great statement for me to make. Maybe that's a metaphor I need to lay to rest. Okay, vertical relationship, first part of this, love God. What does it mean to point myself toward the Lord? having a relationship with the Father. You guys, this means that I'm on a journey with him, trying to understand how his grace and forgiveness are real in my life, trying to understand why the, the things I feel and the, the behaviors that I have in my life are the way they are. Part of this is me trying to figure out, all right, Lord, help me understand what I am put on this planet to do. And you guys, this really is a connection that is vertical, that I have with the God of the universe. I know that not everybody in the room has a great relationship with their dad, but all of us understand what a relationship with our earthly dad should be like. Because even if you're like, man, that's messed up and broken. Well, there's a standard you're judging it against that tells you that it could and should be right. Okay? That standard that you're using, God tries to lean into you and say, that's me. I'm the standard that you're comparing that to. I want to have that connection with you. You are valuable to me. I cherish you. I want to have that with you. But you guys, that's not it. That vertical relationship, if that was the case, you could go hide in a cave and just pray and that would be good. Jesus is like, no, it doesn't end there. There's also a, a horizontal relationship that comes with this too. It's not just vertical. So this idea of loving people is the fact that I am connected to you or I'm connected to my peers, I'm connected to my church body, I'm connected to other people who are vulnerable. Life with other people. John 13, which will also happen during this Holy Week, Jesus sits down with his disciples. I mean, I, I, you guys hear me build this into sermons because it's just one of my favorite moments in Jesus' life. But he strips himself down. He washes the disciples' feet one by one. And then what does he say to him? I just set an example for you that you should go and do likewise for other people. In other words, it's not just about you locking yourself in a prayer closet. It's not just you sitting in your car listening to your worship CDs trying to get close to God. It's like, no, I am connected to you and therefore you are connected to others. How do we do each of these things? 
Well, that's the beauty of it. I've been saying it all stinking year. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He was the example of both of these, the perfect example of it. Moments where he would steal away for moments with the Father, where he would pray and he would be silent and he would depend on who God is. And then moments where he was out with people. Out with people so much, by the way, that he was criticized for it. Why do you hang out with people who are broken? Why do you hang out with people who are outcasts? Why do you hang out with prostitutes? And Jesus is like, because these are the people I came to love. We look to Christ as our example in both of these things, which shouldn't be too surprising to you. Let me use different words tonight for this, okay? We are to have a relationship that is both deep, deep. There is an accusation of, uh, of Christians that the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. Have you heard that before? Mile wide and an inch deep. And I think sometimes that accusation is true. That we pretend to be something that we're not. That we pretend to, ha to have experiences with God that we're actually just scratching the surface. You guys, God wants to breathe spiritual life into our lungs. It's what he desires for us, okay? And in that depth of life, we also are to have a width to us where we want that love of Christ to be given to other people. This is our mission statement. When I, I don't mean as a ministry. I mean you. This is your mission statement. This is your personal mission statement to have a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with each other. And that's why this is our theme next year. This is our priority next year. This is what we are diving into as a community next year. But I'll tell you what, even if you're a senior sitting in here and you'd be like, well, that's great, awesome for you guys, I'm not around next year. You know what, this is your personal mission statement and the place that you're going to. Because Jesus said, this is the great commandment. This is what we're set on this planet to do. To have a vertical relationship with him and a horizontal relationship with each other where that love flows into us, out of us, and into others. I, I legit have a dream next year that there isn't a student on this campus that doesn't hear about Jesus at least one time. You hear, let me say that again. 27,000 students in this town, separated by three different campuses and many others, you guys. I seriously have a vision for every one of them hearing the name of Jesus at least once. And you're like, you want 27,000 students to come to encounter? That ain't gonna happen, you guys. That's not the mission. That's not the vision statement. The vision statement is that going out with you into your spaces, the people that you work with, the study groups that you are in. You guys, we're missionaries to the college campus. It's who we are. We are gonna pour our time, our money, our prayers, and our attention into making this real next year. That's what we're doing. Everything that we think about this summer and pray toward next year will be Will, will be run through this filter. How do we create depth, real depth of inspiring people to love Jesus, not going out with a message that we are not practicing ourselves? And then how do we love the people around us the way that Christ would have us love them? I can get behind that, you guys. But let me give you three warnings. Because when we're talking about loving God and loving people, there are three things that we cannot do. Normally when I'm preaching, if I give you points, it's like, hey, here are the things we need to do. Tonight it's going to be the opposite. 
As we're loving God and loving people, there are three things you can't do, and I'm going to move through these pretty quickly, okay? One is you can't separate these commands. You cannot separate these commands. You can't say, well, you know what? I really want to love God, but I'm not so sure about this loving people thing. Jesus won't let you do that. I mean, listen to 1 John. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. For if we don't love the people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he's given us this command that those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You guys, to do the first command, loving God, is to do the second command, loving Jesus. I could fill this screen a hundred times with New Testament scriptures where Jesus and the apostles say the same thing over and over and over again. Do not say that you will love God and not love his people. They matter to him. Jesus even gave us stories where we understand that sometimes when we help the poor and the broken, we're actually helping him. Why do we do these things to the least of these? Because we do them for him. That's how we love. So that's the first one. We can't separate these two commands. They're entangled together, and you can't separate them. Second, we can't compartmentalize these commands. All right, these are the, the, the thing that your life is poured through. So this is where this idea that, that religion is something I can practice on a Sunday morning, or I can practice it at my small group, or I can, like I've got this little spirituality box that I pull off the shelf at Easter, and I show it to everybody, and then I put it away and slide it back in, but it doesn't really matter to my marriage, and it doesn't really matter to my children, and it doesn't really matter to the... This is your rule of life, you guys. Everything in your life flows through this command, or we are just playing games together. That's what this is. We cannot compartmentalize these commands. And the last one is this. We absolutely can't say them and not do them. That's hypocrisy. If I'm standing up here and preaching this to you but unwilling to do it in my own life, I'm a hypocrite. Jesus had a very short temper. He showed some anger to people who talked about these things but did not put them into practice. So if I'm going to say that I'm going to love people, then again, to go back to number one, I can't separate that command and not show them. Now, you might say, well, man, Ben, doesn't truth need to travel along with that? Yeah, we, we, we talked about that like five weeks ago, about how truth and love walk together. And sometimes loving someone and speaking truth are actually part of the same fabric. So loving, in this sense, does not just mean a great feeling, like I need to make you feel better about yourself, or just, it's not just compassion. Truth sits there too. It is a hard thing to be a friend and say, how do I really need to love this person? But that's what we're called to do. We can't preach these commands and not practice them. Can't do that. Oh, how many of these verses do I want to read to you? <laughs> I got a whole paper full. Okay, I'll just give you a couple. Hear Paul say it to the Romans. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Hear Paul say it to the Galatians. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Hear Jesus say it in John 13. A new commandment I give you is I love you so you must love one another. And Jesus even says, the verse that follows that, all people will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another by the way that you love God and the way that you love people. That's how you'll be known. That's how this campus will recognize you. It's cool to think about. John was one of the apostles, by the way. So as Jesus was, was saying all of these things during Holy Week, as he was giving these teachings, John was sitting right there. And this affected John for a lifetime. You guys, a lifetime. 
this message stuck with him. Did you know that John, uh, as, as history would tell us, was the only, we don't have this in scripture, but like, um, he was the only apostle who wasn't murdered, wasn't killed for his faith. Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to recant what he was saying. Like all the disciples except John were murdered. John lived to an old age. And they say that he lived to an old age in the, in the town of Ephesus. And so there's a historian in the 300s named Jerome who wrote about the Apostle John. And again, this isn't Bible that I'm about to share with you, but it's so cool because they, they track the history with John. And this is what Jerome says about John. Oh, that's not it. I'll just read it to you. I thought I had it on the screen. So this was written in 386 AD. Jerome said this, The blessed John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church, and he couldn't muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing except little children love one another. Did you hear that? The disciples and brothers in attendance, often annoyed because they always heard him say the same words, finally said, Teacher, why do you always say this? And he replied with a line worthy of John, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. You guys, Jerome says, again, extra scriptural, but he says that John lived in Ephesus as an old man who couldn't even walk anymore. And he's being carried from house to house on a mat. And the only thing that would come out of his mouth is, little children love one another. Little children love one another. This is the blessing that he's giving over and over again. Do you want to know why? Because he heard Christ himself say these words. What's the greatest commandment? What is the north star of our faith? What is your Polaris in your faith life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And you guys, I don't care what you're doing, whether you're an elementary school teacher, whether you are a nuclear physicist. You're probably not a nuclear physicist if you're going to Wesleyan or to ISU, but that's okay. If you are, this is your North Star. If you're a janitor, if you work at Taco Bell, if you're raising your kids, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and all of the law and the prophets hang on that one command. Since this impressed John so much, I'm going to give him the final word tonight, because he writes this in 1 John, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. That's where we're headed next year. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the gift of love that you have given to each one of us, the way that you have buried your forgiveness in our souls, the way that you have rescued us from death, the way that you have given us purpose, meaning, and hope. And I pray, Lord, instead of just sitting in that and the selfishness of just keeping that to ourselves, you would let that come out of us to the people around us who need that from you. And so I pray for that vertical relationship in the room, Jesus, that you would be real and that you would grow and you would grow roots in the lives of the students who are here tonight. And then Christ, I pray that that would bust out of them everywhere in the places that they work, in the classes that they go to, that you would be known 
And I ask for it, Jesus, that every student on our three campuses would hear your name next year, would be given an opportunity to know you in a new way. That isn't something that happens by our strength. So Holy Spirit, may it be what you want to be in the timing that you want it to be accomplished. All in your name, Christ. Amen.